Today on Blue 58, the Packers' defensive line didn't have a great year. That's it. That's the whole intro. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. We're talking defensive line today. Before we talk about the big guys up front on defense, though, I want to spend a couple minutes talking about a notable football game that happened a couple days ago, the Super Bowl. Watching the Super Bowl to the extent that I did, maybe about a, a quarter's worth, if that. I didn't I didn't watch a whole bunch. Because when I watch the Super Bowl the last few years, what I end up feeling is just a f- profound feeling of envy. Because I get envious of the teams that are there because of the opportunity that they have but also because of the way that they're treated. And that's what I want as a Packers fan. When you get teams that are in the Super Bowl, the way that you talk about them or the way that the media talks about them changes entirely. No matter how good of a season that they've had, they will get talked about like they're one of the two teams that invented football. And if you would happen to win, everything that you have done just becomes evidence of how you have changed the game of football. Whether it's true or not. And I want that for the Packers, because I want people to talk about the Packers that way. Like they are this team that just has invented everything that's good about football. And I think there is pretty solid evidence that that is how people even think about these teams that are in the Super Bowl, because you can see everybody try to emulate them immediately. And try to replicate exactly what these teams did. And I think that is the wrong lesson to learn in a lot of situations because many of these teams end up in the Super Bowl for one big reason. It's mostly because they were healthy towards the end of the year. Sure, they were talented, but just about everybody team, every every team that ends up like divisional round on in the in the playoffs is pretty healthy or is pretty talented. You just have the most of your guys when it matters the most. And that's not to take away from anything that the the Chiefs or the Eagles did because they were obviously great teams. This was my preferred Super Bowl matchup. This is the matchup I wanted to see because I thought these were the two best teams and it turned out to be a pretty good game. But I just watch this game and feel so envious of how these teams get treated because on the one hand, while they get treated like they revolutionized the game no matter what they did this season, the Packers are miles away, it feels like, from revolutionizing anything about football. That's the second thing I really observe about the, the Super Bowl this year. Even watching just highlights, even watching the limited amount that I did, it looked like the Chiefs and Eagles were playing a different sport than the Packers played in 2022. The intensity level, the imagination on offense and on defense, the execution It just was on an entirely different level, entirely different level than anything we saw from the Packers in in 2022. And kind of looking at the scope of the 2022 season, you know, these position-by-position reviews that we've done, the overall look at the teams that that we've done, we keep coming back to wondering what the Packers' plan was for this season. And I think we, we nailed their plan pretty early on. The Packers wanted to 
steal enough wins early that by the time that their their offense came together in the second half of the season with their their rookies getting more integrated and things like that, that they'd be able to make the playoffs and then hopefully they'd get hot in the playoffs and be able to get through a, a relatively weak NFC field and you're in the Super Bowl. There's a lot of hope in that plan. The gap between where the Packers needed to be to make the Super Bowl and where the, the talent on their roster actually was involved a lot of hope getting from one to the other. And that's not a good way to build a football team. Contrast that to the Chiefs and the Eagles, both of whom were leaning hard on their their personnel departments to get them the talent that they needed to really shove the window of their opportunity open as far as possible. Now, I think the Chiefs are especially interesting in that regard because I think if you look at Kansas City, they weren't expecting necessarily to be like, this is one of our all-in years. This is the year where we're peaking. But still, after they trade Tyreek Hill, they throw as many assets as they can at the wide receiver position. They sign Juju Smith-Schuster. They sign Marquez Valdez-Scantling. They draft Sky Moore. They trade for Kadarius Toney. And they're just leaning as heavily as they can on filling out that position group in addition to having Travis Kelsey so that they can continue to have the elite offense that they want to have, that they know they need to have to be a contender. And what does it turn out to be? The number one offense in football. A Super Bowl winning offense that even wins the Super Bowl when you have Patrick Mahomes throw for 182 yards. A very efficient 182 yards, as much as anything. The Eagles, meanwhile, signed every defensive lineman under the sun down the stretch. Ndamukong Sue, Linval Joseph. They trade for uh, A.J. Brown. In the offseason, they're just constantly building out their team. They're adding talent in aggressive and profound ways. And the Packers seem to go through the offense or through the offseason and think, now we've traded up to second round picks and wide receiver is fixed now. And we've signed Sammy Watkins just as an insurance policy. And that is fixed. And the defensive line, well, we've got Kenny Clark, so we'll add in Jaron Reed. And then we'll put Devontae Wyatt and he'll sit on the bench and maybe in 2024, he'll be ready to play. And it just seems like they do all these, I don't, I don't like using the word cute, but they do all these things where they just seem to be moving so slow. And you see a lot of teams around the league, and it, it could just be because we spend so much time talking about the Packers that we're minutely interested and informed on what they're doing. So it seems like they're moving slower, but it seems like teams around the league just move so much more aggressively than the Packers. And you see two aggressive teams like the Eagles and the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, 14 in three seasons. And yet you got the Packers on the outside at nine and eight, having just thrown gobs of money at their quarterback. And then they go, well, See you in October, Aaron. Hopefully the offense figures itself out around you. We'll do our best. Meanwhile, we've got one of the two rookie first-round picks who isn't playing. We've got a wish at wide receiver, hoping that room comes together. And that's about it. 
And, you know, before you start talking about how, well, the cap, you know, situation made it hard for them to sign people, that's not true. Because Patrick Mahomes took up more of the, the Chiefs cap than Aaron Rodgers did. His cap hit was $7 million higher than Aaron Rodgers this year. It just isn't true that Rodgers had a prohibitively expensive contract in terms of what the Packers wanted to do. They just spent it on stuff that didn't end up mattering. Resigning Devondre Campbell is probably a smart move. But the other moves they made didn't make the team measurably better. Sammy Watkins, Jaron Reed, didn't help all that much. Down the stretch, well, the last drive, last noteworthy drive, because the Chiefs or the Eagles technically got a uh, a chance after the Chiefs kicked the go-ahead field goal there. There is the notable penalty. I think it was a penalty. However, it was also the sort of penalty that generally goes uncalled a lot of the time. It's it's something that you see it on, on TV and they throw the flag and you're like, yeah, that's probably, probably a flag. And Bradbury even says after the game, yeah, I held him. And I don't have a problem per se with throwing the flag. I have a problem with throwing the flag right there because you can find numerous examples of similar amounts of contact going uncalled. And I think if you look at the NFL, gonna gonna take this one play and try to blow it up to a, a, a bigger take here, the problem that people have with the NFL is not the officiating itself, not the f- plays that are being called. It's that it never seems consistent from one play to the next. What is a hold? What is not? Why is this a hold now? And this wasn't a hold then. Or like crew to crew and game to game, different things seem to be different penalties. So Bradbury gets a hold of the jersey there on the the little out route. And yeah, it, it looks like a relatively small tug on the jersey, but a tug nonetheless. He did hold. That gets called. 2020 NFC Championship game, you've got Alan Lazard running across the field and a Buccaneers defensive back puts his hand inside his shoulder pads and pulls him off his route so that he can make an interception, then cause a key incompletion on third down on a different drive. That wasn't called, as I'm sure we are all aware. Same penalty, not called in one game, called in another. Huge consequences in both. The consistency is the problem. Fourth thought here, all of this shows how close you can get and how little it matters when it comes down to one or two plays. The Eagles, I think, had about the best version of themselves that they could have this year. Their running attack was great. Jalen Hurts was efficient throwing the ball. They have a great defense. And they did have a good defense. I, I've seen some some Eagles fans complaining about Jonathan Gannon getting hired by the, the Cardinals. Maybe that's a bad hire. Maybe it's not. But I don't think you can really complain about the results with the Eagles' defense on the, on the, the long term of the season because they've had a very good defense. But the Eagles had about the best season they could have. And yet, a fumble by Jalen Hurts, a holding penalty, that's really about it as far as big mistakes and that's it. That's your season. Two plays, it's done. Could be that close.
and two plays ruin it all. Football is a cruel sport. Finally, what would it take for the Packers to get to the Super Bowl? Where is the gap between where they are now and where they need to be to be in the game, like with the the Chiefs and Eagles? We had a, a couple versions of this question in our Discord server, and I want to take a deeper look at this at a, at a later point this offseason. But three quick thoughts right off the top of the, the right off the top of my head. The biggest thing, the biggest difference between the Chiefs and the Eagles and where the Packers are right now is talent. I know that the the takes are all about you know like, well, you know Matt Lafleur is not aggressive enough. Aaron Rodgers can't win the big game. Blah, 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 blah. The biggest gap between good teams and bad teams is talent. The Packers just simply need more good players, and they need to be aggressive about adding talent in ways that they haven't necessarily been aggressive since, let's say they went on a free agent spending spree in 2019. That's really the last time I can think that the Packers were aggressive about going and getting guys. Every other time the Packers have really made big moves, it's been as a result of something kind of falling into their laps. Think about uh, 2018, the trade back that resulted in the Packers later moving up to get Jair Alexander. The big asset out of the 2018 draft, in, ex- in addition to Alexander, was a first-round pick for 2019, which came from the New Orleans Saints, which they offered up kind of foolishly, and the Packers were happy to accept. But the Packers were able to infuse some talent on their defense the next year. And to be fair, Darnell Savage was pretty good in 2019 and 2020. It's been a bit of a downhill slide since then, but it, it was a strong start to his year. They were able to infuse a bunch of talent on their defense in 2019 because they had those two first-round picks, one of them, one of which fell on their lap. 2019, they went on a big spending spree. It doesn't take a lot of imagination to do that, but the Packers were willing to do that, and they really haven't been willing to shove their chips in the same way since then. And I know the cap has been different than it was in 2019, but they haven't been as creative in adding talent as they were that offseason really since, regardless of how much room they have to to spend on, on their books. They just haven't added talent as aggressively as some of these teams have, and that's one of the big reasons the Packers were 8-9 and nine, and the Chiefs and the Eagles were 14-3. and three. The Packers were less talented. It's pretty simple. The second thing is imagination. Imagination in terms of scheme stuff, Packers offense and defense seemed pretty, well, part of it was their talent on offense. They were not able to, I think, be as creative early in the season as as they possibly could, and that did change over the course of the year a little bit. But it it just was not, I think, the best version of LaFleur's offense that we've seen for a variety of reasons. On defense, you've got the pretty vanilla Joe Barry. And the reason that you have the pretty vanilla Joe Barry is, again, a lack of imagination. The Packers hired a two-time retread who has, to borrow a phrase that I used earlier this offseason, quote, literally never coordinated a good defense, end quote, to run their defense during the last you know, title window for Aaron Rodgers. They make the NFC Championship game in 2020. The Packers still say, all right, we are all in on this. We are trying to win a Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers. And so they hire Joe Barry to get their defense over the hump. No risk or imagination at all there. 
and you don't want to belabor the point, but there are so many other decisions along those lines. Shoot. We've even criticized Brian Gutekunst for, you know, kind of positioning himself as this bold change maker. Whether you agree with it or think it's the right decision or not, trading Aaron Rodgers last offseason, saying we're going to commit to a direction rather than just trying to keep doing the same thing again and again and again, that would have been bold and had some imagination. Maybe it doesn't make the Packers contenders in 2022, but at least it's trying something rather than just doing the same thing again and again. And I guess to that matter, the Packers, we can't, you can't get around this if you look at football long enough. The Packers have been profoundly unlucky the last two years, too. Last three years, really. 2020, that playoff run is different with David Bakhtiari out there. It just is. It changed the entire complexion of that offensive line. And boy, did it affect them in the NFC Championship game. Same thing goes for 2021. David Bakhtiari has a healthy knee. I believe in my heart that game is different. 2022, if the Packers manage to score one more time during the non-last gasp portion of that game against the Giants, is Aaron Rodgers trying to throw a Hail Mary at the end of the game? And if he's not, does he break his thumb? And how does the Packers season change if Rodgers doesn't have a broken thumb? Because you pick one or two of those next five games, flip them around, the complexion of the season is entirely different. It is, you know, if you'll pardon the pun, a bit of a bad break there for the Packers. Just a little bit unlucky. That's the gap sometimes between at least making the playoffs and ending up at 8-9. and nine. Could use a little bit of luck. And sometimes you got to make your own, and that comes down to where the other stuff comes into play too. Talent and imagination. Add in a little bit of luck and you're a Super Bowl contender. Packers didn't add much talent, didn't have much imagination, so you start to have a couple unlucky breaks this year, and you're on the outside looking in. Those are my Super Bowl thoughts. I said it was quick thoughts. We're 19 minutes into the podcast. We haven't talked about the defensive line yet, but that's okay. Let's talk about the defensive line. Looking at this group, I think the story is Devontae Wyatt and Kenny Clark. Usually we go snap counts, low to high. I want to start with Devontae Wyatt and then go to Kenny Clark because I think that tells the entire story of the line. So, Devontae Wyatt. 224 snaps on defense this year, 23 on special teams. That's it right there. That's his season. 224 snaps as a first-round pick. Unreal. 15 tackles, sack and a half, one fumble force, one pass defense, three quarterback hits. We had high expectations for Devontae Wyatt. Maybe that was out of line. We should know, given how long we've done this, how rookie defensive linemen tend to play as rookies. This, I think, is beyond that. He just didn't play at all, really, until the season was basically lost. We expected him, I expected him to be a contributor from day one. He was not given the opportunity to do so. And I think our predictions for him this season kind of followed along those lines. I predicted somewhere between three and seven sacks, three or more tackles for loss, and five or more quarterback hits. Over one, over two, over three. 
that's really the, the sum total of his season. He couldn't get off the bench. And we never really got an explanation as to why. And I wouldn't be surprised if at some point in the next, shoot, it's February now, six months between now and, you know, training camp in August, at some point when we're talking about his rookie year, some coach says something like, you know, his conditioning wasn't there. He wasn't in the playbook as much as he should be. Something that may or may not be true. Maybe they're trying to justify the decision they've made. Maybe it is true that he you know, wasn't in his playbook as much as he should be. I don't know. That's just speculating. But there has to be some reason other than that he wasn't good enough to play that he wasn't on the field. Because when we saw him on the field, he was good enough to play. And that affects Kenny Clark, as we'll talk about here in a second. As far as what comes next for Devontae Wyatt, we are very close to be good or be a bust territory already. Because Wyatt turns 25 next month, and we got to get down to business here. Otherwise, you're almost burning up his entire rookie contract. Just do that end. When the Packers are deciding to pick up his fifth-year option, Devontae Wyatt will be 27 years old. Insane. When, if he gets a contract extension, when he gets a second contract, the first year of that second contract, assuming the Packers pick up his fifth-year option, will be for his age 29 season. That's bananas. That's crazy. You got a guy here who's going to burn up his entire, essentially, prime on his rookie deal. There's really no second contract situation for Devontae Wyatt because he's going to be in his 30s for the bulk of it. It's craziness. Anyway, Kenny Clark, the other end of the spectrum here. Wyatt doesn't play, Clark plays a lot. 807 snaps on defense, 80 on special teams. That's basically what Kenny Clark does. He just logs a ton of snaps. 53 tackles, 4 sacks, 5 tackles for loss, 10 quarterback hits. Not a terrible statistical year for Mr. Clark, We had high expectations for him. I imagine you did too. He was a pro bowler in 2021, highly paid defensive lineman. Of course, it's going to be high expectations. And the predictions fell in line there. Six or more sacks, 10 or more quarterback hits. He got 10 exactly and he made the pro bowl. Well, that's one for three. Four sacks, not six. Didn't make the pro bowl. Did hit the quarterback 10 times. The balance of his year Some total really comes down to something we've seen a lot. He had a strong start, but then kind of faded a little bit as the year went down. Maybe getting a little bit worn down. Maybe just other teams figure it out that he's really the only guy out there. And it feels like we can do this, or we've done this, every year for a while now. Well, if Kenny Clark can just get some help. Well, if somebody else could just step up then we'd really get to see what Kenny Clark can do. But he never does get help, and nobody does ever step up. So we have to watch Kenny Clark flash as a, as a great player, but then get worn down or just get kind of eliminated because teams figure out he's the only guy worth worrying about on the other side. And you just end up with a guy that, He looks like Sisyphus, just pushing the boulder up the hill all by himself, except he's getting double teamed and the boulder is, you know, a Pro Bowl caliber guard or something like that. He can't do it by himself, but the Packers keep asking him to. 
And I wonder if this is just if if he's like the anti Aaron Jones, because Aaron Jones gets used sparingly, but when he's he does get used, he's amazing because he's allowed to shine in a very specific role. Kenny Clark gets used all the time, but it feels like he can't ever reach his potential because he never gets any help. And that's a real bummer to see because there were times this year where he looked absolutely unstoppable. And you had some injuries that affect him too. Rashawn Gary getting hurt certainly affects his game a little bit. But the Packers drafted help for him in the first round. That help didn't help at all in 2022. They signed a depth piece in Jaron Reed. We'll get to him in a second here. It just The defensive line picture was supposed to crystallize around Kenny Clark this season, and it just never did. So what comes next next year? What comes for next year? What is all of next year about? We'll try three shots at that. You get the point. 2023 for Kenny Clark. His cap hit jumps to $23.9 million and then $24.7 million for 2024. I would expect they push some of that out to the future. He already has void years in place for 2025 and 2026. And given some of the other cap decisions the Packers have made on the defensive line, it would not be surprising to see them be willing to pay Kenny Clark a little bit more in those years when he's not necessarily going to be playing for the Packers anyway. Terrific. Um, just brilliant roster construction on the defensive line. Not a big fan of the defensive line this year, if you haven't haven't gathered that. Uh, the only other guy I feel any kind of good about, though, is TJ Slayton. 333 snaps on defense, 145 on special teams, 31 tackles, two tackles for loss, two passes defense. No sacks, no quarterback hits. I liked Slayton's 2022. All I wanted from him was to build on 2021, and he did. He had more snaps this year than the year prior. Did think he'd be a little bit more active getting after the quarterback, but wishful thinking, let's put it that way. But basically, he did what we want from him. He's a consummate run stuffer, and if he did anything on the Packers, he's stuffed the run. He was their best graded run defending defensive lineman this year, which I know is not saying all that much given where the Packers defensive line was, but at least TJ Slayton when he was out there was pretty solid against the defensive line. I am very excited for year three TJ Slayton. And this is just a a brief overview of who he has been this year as a player, but I think we saw what he could do this year and it's going to be exciting to see him build on that hopefully in a bigger role next year. If you have a base defensive line of TJ Slayton and Kenny Clark and um, Devontae Wyatt, I feel a lot better about that for a number of reasons than a base defensive line of Dean Lowry and Jaron Reed and Kenny Clark. I think you're just maximizing the talents of the individual players better with Wyatt and Slayton and Clark than you are with Lowry and Reed and Clark. You just get to play them in roles that are more conducive to what they can do. And the key to that is TJ Slayton, a guy who should be taking nose, to, uh, nose snaps away from Kenny Clark, allowing him to play a little bit more three technique or end, which allows him to be a little bit more of a favorable matchup for the Packers, at least, you would think. It seems like he would be in a better position that way if he could get some of those maybe outside guard matchups instead of, you know, trying to beat a guard in a center. 
together. Isolating on a guard or splitting the difference between the guard and the tackle seems to work a little bit better for Kenny Clark than, you know, just hoping for the best as he takes on another double team. Dean Lowry, two defensive linemen to go here. Dean Lowry, Dean Lowry, 482 snaps on defense, 116 on special teams, 43 tackles, one for loss, half a sack, five quarterback hits. One of his most disappointing statistical years, which is saying something. I think it's probably his most disappointing his statistical year because of how good he was in 2021. Let's remember that Lowry was pretty good in 21, at least as a pass rusher. Had one of his best pass rushing seasons as a member of the Packers. Which, if we're handing out kudos, is one of the successes of the Joe Barry era, to be honest. The overall defensive picture hasn't always been great. But in 2021, at least, he did a good job of unlocking their talent on the defensive line. And I wonder if the Packers personnel, just to make this a little bit of a mini discussion about Joe Barry, I wonder if the Packers talent on defense forced him in a direction that he didn't necessarily want to go because a lot of what they did in 2021 was three down linemen, two edges, one inside linebacker. Well, when you have Koi Walker out there, which the Packers want to have out there because he's their first round pick, he's an athletic marvel, all of those good reasons to have him out there. You can't do those things in the same way. And that is a fundamental shift away from what the Packers actually wanted to do with the the Fangio scheme. Fangio scheme stuff builds back to front with your defensive backs playing key roles in run support. Now, admittedly, the Packers' defensive backs, not great in run support, and that was part of the reason that they wanted Quay Walker out there. But it is, it's a schematic difference. It's a different approach than what they used at times successfully in 2021. That's a discussion for a different day, though. Lowry, to that point, though, was fairly good in 2021. Even grading by the standards of normal defensive linemen, not on a Dean Lowry curve, he was was pretty good. Again, one of his better pass-rushing years. Never has been a great run defender, but if you want him out there defending the run, that's kind of a you problem. The expectation for 2022 then was that Dean Lowry be as good as he was in 2021, and he wasn't. He fell off in about every conceivable way. I really haven't found a meaningful stat where he was better in 2022 than in 2021. To be fair, we predicted this decline. We predicted that all of his stats would be worse than in 2021. Under five sacks, under nine tackles for loss, which were the numbers he put up in 21, Half a sack, one tackle for loss. There you go. That's Dean Lowry. A disappointing year, but I don't know if it was entirely his fault. And this ties into the Wyatt and Clark discussion. Because I think the Packers just simply had Dean Lowry out there on the field too much. And by this point in his career, nobody is surprised by Dean Lowry in any way. And the the opposing teams know you could just run at him. And he's going to, he is going to fall apart. He's going to be a problem for the opposing, well, for your defense if he's out there. And that is, you know, in addition to Kenny Clark and Devontae Wyatt, another mystery to me, why they utilized the defensive line the way that they did. So what comes next for Dean Lowry? Well, we are into void year territory. So I'd have to imagine that he was, he's going to be gone. 
But fun fact, Dean Lowry is going to count against the Packers books until 2025. Terrific. Speaking of guys who are going to be on the Packers cap for a while, Jaron Reed, 705 snaps on defense, 81 on special teams, 52 tackles, two and a half sacks, five tackles for loss, 14 quarterback hits, and one forced fumble. Moderate expectations for Mr. Reed this year. We hope that he would be a consistent pass rusher. We predicted that he would get between two and five sacks, ended up with two and a half. I was not a big fan of his 2022 season, but I, and this is weird to say relative to what they paid, I'm basically fine with what he gave them, but relative to what they needed, it was not fine. And that is a key distinction to make because that is not a Jaron Reed problem. That is a personnel problem. If you're paying Reed, he counted less than 1% against their cap this year. That is not a big cap buster, obviously. That is not a guy who is determining your fate as a team just because of his intense cap load. If you're expecting huge things from a guy who's making or counting less than 1% against your cap, I don't know what to tell you. But he, for a guy who's making that amount of money, I think totally fine. The Packers needed more than totally fine, though. And that is not Jaron Reed's problem. That is the Packers' problem. Because they signed him, and then they played him for 700 snaps, and you got the kind of performance from a guy who's making you know, less than 1% of your salary cap. 0.8%, according to OverTheCap.com. You were counting on that guy to be your second-best defensive lineman this year. What are you thinking? What is the plan there? That's not a plan. That's, that's even beyond hope. What, what is the idea there? You thought that guy was going to be your second best defensive lineman? Because whether or not you, that's your stated preference, that is very much the revealed preference here. The contract says depth signing. And as far as depth guys go, I think you could do worse than Jaron Reed. The Packers certainly did because they had Dean Lowry out there. But they, they put him in a situation where he was supposed to be a big contributor, and he wasn't, and that's a problem. That is another misread of the situation on the defensive line. So for 2023, we are also in void year territory for, for him. But as his contract voids for this year, he is still going to be counting against the Packers cap until the year 2026. I understand this is how you prop a title window open or try to, but you're trying to prop a title window open with a guy who's making this amount of money and he's contributing at this level despite him playing 700 snaps. Maybe that's why the Packers are fairly far away from being where the Chiefs and the Eagles are. Ended up a little bit salty about the defensive line today. I think that's okay because I think if you're looking at the Packers' 2022 season, what you see is a problem with the talent level that wasn't necessarily the problem of the players. Yeah, maybe the players weren't as good as you know they, the Packers hoped they could be, but that the Packers were hoping for them to be a player that they couldn't be is probably a much bigger issue than the players themselves. 
And I think that is the one of the underlying themes that we've come back to again and again and again as we've gone through this position-by-position review. The Packers were counting on guys they shouldn't have been counting on. And that is the biggest indictment of where the Packers are as a team, I think. And I, I think that is a reason to be a little bit concerned about 2023 and 2024 as the Packers look for, at the very least, a retool, probably some kind of a rebuild over the next few years. Are we sure that they can get it done? Given that they really haven't covered themselves in glory as they try to be real contenders when they've got an opportunity to do so? Well, that's where we are. And that's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I'd appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it that's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.